Hello, and welcome to Remember the Film, where beautiful things don't ask for attention, which is why we're going to ask you to watch us and subscribe and like our video, because we, <laughs> we are not beautiful. <laughs> but Speak for yourself. Well, you're right, Hugo. I mean, what are you going to do? <laughs> stop it. Just stop it. Well, uh, I'm your host this week, this. Uh, Jeff Grizz Ulrich, and I am joined, as always, uh, by the uh, only one of us who never has to daydream about being in Italy, <laughs> Hugo Panay. How are you doing today, Hugo? <laughs> I never daydream about being in Italy. I daydream about being not in Italy, but that's, that's a different story, I guess. And our third host, a man whose daydreams are written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, Josh Bradley. How are you, Josh? I'm doing horribly because I haven't seen licorice pizza yet. <laughs> and I'm getting angrier by the day about that fact. Yeah, yeah, I understand it, it, that. Is it out yet? It's out in Los Angeles as of two days ago. However, I am not in Los Angeles because of the ah. stupid holiday that we're stupidly <laughs> celebrating. Stupid Thanksgiving. Cancel stupid I mean, just cancel Thanksgiving. And I'm kidding. I'm very grateful to be home and everything. But, very you know. thankful, even. Yes, I will see Liquor's Pete's on Tuesday, as soon as the plane lands. Well, and I will speaking see of it in February, watching so. things, yeah, I'll see it in February when you know it's available on a streaming service or something like that. Because these days, for some reason, I used to get all these you know more niche movies would release in my area. I still haven't seen a single uh, showing available for the French Dispatch. Ah, oh, that sucks. Yeah, that sucks. That really sucks. I was really looking forward to that one. Uh, it's a good movie. I've seen it. I, I've been studying in Rome this year, and Rome has like 15 to 20 small theatres. So it's great. You get anything that actually releases in Italy, you can find. The, the problem is a lot of movies come out like a few months later, so I didn't... Is House of Gucci coming out in Italy anytime soon? It is. I think it's mid to late December. I'm not exactly sure what Have what you the heard the batshit crazy things Jared Leto's been saying on the press tour about playing an Italian person? I have. No, it's, but I imagine it's great. It's it's, uh, <laughs> it's everything I would expect from Jared Leto. I mean, I mean, like I was thinking about this inter- the other day, but maybe that guy should just go on on one of his weird mystical retreats and stay there for a few years, like you know, just. So, there, there's a meme from The Sopranos that goes around that says a character saying it's anti-Italian discrimination, which most people yeah. use like completely flippantly as a joke. But like, yeah, I mean, it is a joke. Honestly, Jared Leto's <laughs> comments like are pushing the, like, like limits of being like offensive to Italian people. Like, I wish, <laughs> like, I wish I could see a video of him <laughs> saying it because, like, from the transcript, I still because I know it's Jared Leto, so it's I'm sure he's being tongue in cheek. That... Yes. It's entirely possible that he's completely serious about that, though. Like, he's like, oh, I was breathing Parmesan or whatever the fuck he's my, my blood was olive oil. He said he was, like, snorting some Italian... I don't even remember what he was Guys, snorting, but he said his crazy. blood was olive oil. Well, you know, he does stay yeah. in character for his role, so maybe the problem is that God, no that one sucks. told him that's not how Italians actually are. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, I mean, you, know what's, you know what's messed up is, like, he's, like, apparently pretty good in it and might... Probably is going to get nominated for supporting actor again for this. I don't know. I've seen conflicting. I think I've seen conflicting stuff about it though. Like I've I've I've, I've seen a review by uh, I don't know if you know Dan Morrill. He was a he used to be work at Screen Junkies. Now he has a YouTube channel. He like does box office oh, reporting Dan and yeah, reviews. He's great. Yeah, and he he reviewed the movie and he was like, "Oh, I love this movie. This movie is great, except for Jared Leto. Every scene Jared Leto is in, I hate it. I I cannot handle it. It's so stupid. It's because like." 
I don't know. I watched the trailers. Um, I'm still kind of looking forward to the movie, even though reviews oh, I'm, I'm super been... looking forward to it. Let, let like, me be review... clear. I'm very excited to see it. Yeah. Reviews have been weird. Like some reviews are like, oh, this is next. Like like somebody's compared it to The Godfather and stuff. And then there's other reviews that are like, oh, this is a cartoon and it's horrible. It's like, I'm very curious to see, like, I don't know. I think it has a 66% on Rotten Tomatoes, but yeah, it's a weird like 66% because it's like, there's a lot of really positive reviews and there's a lot of really negative reviews. And so mm. I think it's an interesting movie to watch. Um, I, the accents, though, in the trailers have been... Like, every time I've watched the trailer, I, it's very hard for me not to just laugh at it, even when it's trying to be serious. Well, and I understand what they're going for, but... Ugh. Two things. In defense of Lady Gaga, like, she's not doing <laughs> an Italian accent. She's not doing an Italian accent. She's doing, she's doing an accent of an actual person. And if you watch clips she of that is. actual person, and she does kind of sound like a weird hybrid of Italian and Russian. So like Lady Gaga seems, seems like she's kind of nailing like she's it, nailed it. Yeah. She's yeah. the one. She's the one that I don't mind because I've heard her character speak in English in mm-hmm. real life. And she sounds yeah. very similar. But the issue comes when, first of all, like the, the idea is they, they would be speaking Italian, right, in the movie. And so the accent is sort of more of a... I don't know. It's sort of immersion breaking for me a little bit, and sure. then it's, it's weird some of them it, are ju- just sound really cartoony. It's going to be immersion breaking for I'm sure most people in Italy because it's not they're not great Italian accents, but for the you know United States audience, a lot of people are like, oh yeah, that's an Italian, and so yeah, it's not going to be immersion breaking at all. <laughs> I mean, and and the thing is, most people in Italy are going to see this in Italian dubbed anyway, so it doesn't, it won't matter. But for me, that I I try to always watch everything in its original language. Um, it you know, because I think it's part of the performance, part of the movie, and I'm, I'm curious yeah. to see how it holds up for two and a half hours. So I didn't actually know until you told me just now that it has a 66 on Rotten Tomatoes, but it seems to be a split of like very yeah. negative, very positive. That actually makes me more intrigued to see it because yeah. that reminds me of like. The response to Wolf of Wall Street. Yes. Wolf of Wall Street only had like a low seventies, mid seventies Rotten Tomato score, but like like you just said, the positive ones were extremely positive and the negative ones were extremely negative. And that's like one of the best movies of the last twenty years. IMO. Mm-hmm. So I mean I'm not saying how Gucci will be, but like that makes me a lot more intrigued to see but, it. Yeah, you know, you're so. a big fan of Ridley Scott as well, right? I wouldn't even actually call myself a big fan of Ridley Scott. I mean, The Last Duel, his other movie this Loved year, is the, the best Duel, movie. I've, yeah. It's it's still the best movie I've seen this year. I mean, we're we're, we're going to talk in a second about what we've been watching recently. I've seen like a lot of the movies that are supposedly some of the year end best movies, and nothing's topped The Last Duel yet. So, yeah. Well, so on that note, that is the next thing we were going to talk about. What have we been watching? Mm-hmm. We've kind of already been kind of talking about it, but more more so about what we want to be watching. But uh, <laughs> so. What I've been watching lately, I watched the get the Beatles get back uh, mm-hmm. documentary that just we've, uh, we've started it. Yeah, you know, we started Disney it. Disney Plus, fantastic. I mean, it awesome. is it is long, but I'm a yeah. big Beatles fan, and so like I, I was already very hyped to, to watch it in the first place. But uh, I, I it really does provide some incredible insight into the ending days of the Beatles. Yeah, uh, Grizz, do you know how old they are when they were recording this? When they're recording it, they're like twenty yeah. something. Like, yeah, John's twenty eight and Paul's twenty six, which just makes me furious <laughs> that they're like, <laughs> yeah, they're genius. It's absurd. It's a little yes, unfair. <laughs> yes, but uh, I mean, like, I, I I really did love it, and I, I I saw one funny review though, like someone who didn't like love it as much as I did, but one funny review on Letterbox, they said 
I, I can't wait for Peter Jackson to get back to making the best version of a movie instead of the most version of a movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fair, it's a fair, uh, yeah, fair observation. Because yeah. this whole documentary is four hundred and like four hundred eighty minutes. <laughs> Um, I saw a tweet from Mark Marin. He didn't even mention the documentary or mention the Beatles. He just tweeted without context, how many episodes in until they play a full song? <laughs> Which I laughed at because everyone knew exactly what he was talking about yeah, immediately. <laughs> but I, I watched that. And I also recently watched the uh, the new Home Alone movie or whatever that one's called. It, There's a new Home Alone movie? Also on Disney+. Plus. It is, is this five or six? This would be the fourth one, I think. Oh, okay. Uh and it is awful. Just a <laughs> wow. travesty. I'm so surprised. This movie is so that. bad, they had me rooting for the home invaders. <laughs> <laughs> it was real bad. Fair enough. I buy that. But, yeah. uh, so those, that's some of the stuff I've been watching. What about uh, you, cool. Hugo? Uh, well, I've been really busy with, with university stuff, so um, I haven't really felt... like You know how sitting down to watch something new and challenging sometimes can be hard when you're too busy and tired so mm-hmm. i kind of did a lot of rewatches. like i, I rewatched uh three of the spider-man movies that four of the spider-man movies recently with with our friend islam um on discord which was fun uh we had a, which ones we watched the raimi trilogy and then we watched the first amazing spider-man movie and we're probably going to watch amazing spider-man 2 as well I did want to uh, say I'm not very looking forward to, to that one. I'm trying to work through those movies with my girlfriend. She's never actually seen any of the Spider-Man movies, but she's seen most of the MCU movies except for the Spider-Man right. ones. And so, huh. like, before we see this new one, I want her to have seen, yeah, all of the Spider-Man movies to, uh, you know, based on what we know this movie is going to be about. Uh, okay, so she's going to hate the Raimi movies because Peter Parker is a, is a psycho in those. So um, she's we started watching. We started watching. We started watching the first this first Spider-Man movie this week. And yeah. uh, one, she was really enjoying it because uh, she said, oh, I love movies from the early 2000s. They're so corny and campy. And I'm like, yeah, they kind of are. And what's, it also made me a little sad because it's like, I don't think they meant to be. <laughs> I mean, I, I the, mean, I, the Raimi Spider-Man meant to be. The, they're TV they're intentionally a little corny. For, certainly, a yeah, little yeah, yeah. Bit. certainly for Green yeah. Goblin, he is campy as all get out. And what was really funny, I love though, being uh, best part of the movie. My girlfriend, if, if I start a movie too late in the, in the evening, she'll fall asleep. Doesn't matter if she's enjoying the movie mm-hmm. or not, uh, she'll she'll fall asleep. And it was just the perfect timing, right when Green Goblin goes sleep, <laughs> lights <laughs> out. My girlfriend fell asleep. <laughs> so we had to stop the movie, and we're, we're going to pick it up and finish it another time. <laughs> Fantastic. What else were so you yeah, watching? I those. Um, I did a rewatch of uh, the Matrix sequels. As well, uh, I was another on another podcast about the Matrix, but uh, large popcorn. Listen to it. Um, Friend of the Christian show was Christian on our Macias. podcast, yeah, last week. Um, but yeah, so I also watched those with Julia the first time for the first time because she had never seen two and three. She she only saw the first one. Um, and new stuff. I I I did get to see the French Dispatch, like the, good movie. Yeah, ten days ago or something. And also I watched Ghostbusters Afterlife, which. I didn't get at all. Like, I really don't understand why people are liking that movie, to be honest. Like, it's... <laughs> to me, it's like, this is the definition of, like, a, a weird nostalgia movie, but it's also kind of a kid's movie. And I'm like... What kid is very nostalgic for Ghostbusters uh, in 2021? I don't know. I just kids didn't get it. Kids who saw the 2016, you know, re- Ghostbusters remake. 
<laughs> yeah, I just, I guess, I don't know. I'm very, uh, it confused me. Like, it left me thinking, uh, who is this for? Like, if it's, if it's for old school Great fans, question. like if it, if it's for old school fans and um, for people who have nostalgia for it, then why not make it a little more grown up, like the first one was? And if it's for kids, then why is it Ghostbusters? <laughs> it, I, I don't know. It left me very confused. But people seem to enjoy it, to be enjoying it. So maybe I just don't get it. What about you, Josh? Uh, first of all, this may be sacrilegious, but I don't really get why Ghostbusters is a big deal. Yeah, you know, neither. like I, I mean, like I the original <laughs> Ghostbusters. Like, I, I get it's a it's a nice movie, it's a fun movie, but like the the cultural footprint that movie's yeah. caused, and like the the ire at the twenty sixteen movie is just wild to me. I also am very curious how the new movie would be received if the twenty sixteen version didn't exist. If they really were like cashing in on 30 years of nostalgia for the first time instead of for the second time in five years if it yeah. would be received a little differently um particularly because this one seems a lot more nostalgic than the 2016 one having not seen it yet but uh, certainly regardless. based on the reviews that's the case yes 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 might have might have been might have worked better um i've been watching uh i'm rewatching the return twin peaks the return actually uh i am 16 hours into it i have two hours to go and that has to wait until i get back to la because it's Blu-rays. I don't know if it's Blu-rays with me, but I watched basically the whole first half of November. I was watching The Return every night. Um, I rewatched Moneyball because I was actually on another podcast talking about Moneyball. Uh, it's called Exit Through the Exit Through the 2010s. If you feel so inclined to listen to me talk about Moneyball, check it out. Um, but new, yeah, uh, new stuff. Um, I don't know if I had seen French Dispatch last time we talked, but I've seen French Dispatch. I've seen Belfast. I've seen Spencer. Um, Spencer's actually really good. Like, I, I think I had, like, low expectations for it, but I actually really enjoyed it. Um, it's weird, but I think it's, like, weird in, like, an interesting way. Uh, Belfast, I actually maybe had too high expectations because I was kind of underwhelmed by it. And mm. um, that's, you know, kind of sucks because uh, it might win Best Picture, possibly. Belfast, the wow. Kenneth Branagh movie. Um, yeah, we'll see. I watched the first two-thirds of king richard on the plane to st louis i was gonna say i, I also watched that I, I didn't stop because it wasn't good i stopped because my plane ride ended and i couldn't you know just keep Fair watching enough. as i walked to the, you walk to the anything, but um <laughs> no it's it's like really good king richard is at least the first two-thirds is i don't know how they stick the landing but i i was really really into the first like hour and a half hour 40 it was i great. think will smith's uh performance is really really great uh I think part of, like part of the reason because I, I I enjoyed it but ultimately I didn't you know I wasn't like madly in love with the movie I think partially mm-hmm. because I wanted the story to be more about Venus and Serena well I know it's a movie about their dad but like I still you know think like you know the true heroes of the of the story should be the people who are perceived as heroes <laughs> yeah yeah I get what you mean I mean if the if the Academy's smart he he wins best actor this year I yeah, think he's going a, to anyway it's a great but like. Benedict Cumberbatch might swoop in and, and win Best Actor instead, or Denzel for Macbeth, but uh, Will Smith needs to needs to win this. You, you think it, want... it would? You think it would be sort of a you know a lifetime achievement sort of? A bit, yeah. I was talking to my parents about this. The fact that he was like you know multi Oscar nominated, but not not in like fifteen years. Like yeah. that's mm-hmm. this is there's a good like it's his time narrative. Also, like playing a real person helps. The fact that like Venus and Serena could attend the Oscars and be there, like I don't know. I'm kind of I'm kind of talking from like a publicity standpoint, which is like a consideration for the Oscars it that is. I wish it I wish it was less consideration, but it just you know facing reality it is. Um, 
I don't know. In Benedict Cumberbatch, he's 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 been the Oscars before. He'll he'll be back again. So you know, I haven't seen The Power of the Dog yet, that movie that he's in. But I guess I can make a better call about who should win after I watch that. But uh, yeah, give Will Smith an Oscar. I want to see him give an acceptance speech. It'll be awesome. That'll be fun. Okay, well, so that's what we've been watching uh, here the last couple yeah. of weeks. Uh, so now we're going to start talking about our actual, you know, film to remember for the week, which is the 20... Oh my gosh, I'm forgetting the year. 13. 2013, 2013. film, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, uh, which is directed and starring one Ben Stiller. Uh so, uh, this film was uh, written by Steve Conrad based on a short story of the same name written in 1939 by James Thurber. Uh, this movie was not a, a big box office success. Uh, no. it, it made, oh, it, it had a budget of $90 million, and that's the alarming thing here. That's it, tough. That, that's, that's a very expensive. That's a tough threshold, yeah. Uh, and it only made $58 mil in the United States and Canada and gross worldwide of $188 million. Uh, so when you take into account the marketing costs that we know are not included in this, uh, it could have broken even. It may have, probably close. It may have probably close even. to breaking even. Yeah. But uh, is it, do you want to know what what it was up against in its opening weekend? Yes, I would love that? to know that. Please. Okay. Okay. Um, so it opened basically like Christmas. It, I, I have the numbers for Christmas weekend in 2013. I think it opened Christmas Day. So mm-hmm. I don't That's know if correct. these numbers include. Christmas on a Wednesday that year. I don't know if this numbers include the Wednesday and Thursday, but regardless, for the Friday through Sunday of that weekend, um, it opened number seven Ouch. to twelve point seven million. I mean, twelve point seven million is good now. It was not as good in twenty thirteen, but no. um, uh, the other opening movies that weekend were uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Also opened that weekend. It opened number five at eighteen, and everything else in the top. Well, number nine was 47 Ronin. I forgot the movie existed. Um, and everything else in the, the top ten Keanu was all... Is Keanu Reeves? Is that right? Yeah, I think that is Keanu Reeves. I think Reeves, so, yeah. where he plays some weird samurai or something. Yeah, a band of samurai that. set up to avenge the death and dishonor of their master at the hands of a ruthless shogun. I need to watch that. 47 <laughs> <I'm sorry>. Ronin. <laughs> uh, number one, Christmas Weekend 2013. Uh, do, do we want to guess... It was a sequel to... Oh, we were just talking about Peter Jackson. Oh, oh was it God. Uh, one of the Hobbit movies? It's it was the, the Desolation of Smaug. Two. And we were, just talking about, uh, we were just talking about Benedict Cumberbatch, too, who yeah. plays Smaug. <laughs> um, yeah, week three of Desolation of Smaug is still hanging in number one, 29 million. Uh, number two was... <laughs> number two at the box office is the sixth week of Frozen. Oh, my oh God. God. <laughs> that movie. Which just tells you... It, it's... <laughs> It's it's number two for the weekend. It's already grossed a quarter of a billion dollars in six Jesus. weeks. That's insane. Uh, number three, number <laughs> number three is Anchorman two in its second week. I forget that uh, movie happened. <laughs> I do too. I also forget that happened. I saw it when it came out, and Me I too. have not thought about it since. Um, I only saw the Harrison Ford scene on YouTube because I thought it was funny that Harrison. Ford I forgot Harrison Ford was, was even in that. Yeah. When's he in that? Even <laughs> he's know. in like one random scene, and it's funny. Um, number four for the week is uh, the third the third weekend of American Hustle, which is another movie that we've talked about that doesn't really exist anymore. Yep. <laughs> it got ten Oscar nominations and everyone forgot about it. Uh, number five was Wolf I of Wall I remember Street, Jeremy which... Renner's hair in that movie. Yes, and uh, <laughs> Christian Bale's hair. Yes. <laughs> uh, number six, coming in right ahead of uh, Walter Mitty, is the third week of Saving Mr. Banks. 
which is an excellent pretty good movie. So yeah, pretty yeah. good movie. Not, not, well, not that's going to come up again later. That's going to come again later with the uh, National Border Review. Correct. Which we're going to talk we're, about we're in a second. Talk about in just a second. Yeah. Uh, so rough, rough start with rough a lot start of competition. For an inauspicious like, start at the box big, office. Big competition in this genre as well. Like quite a, like a few big comedies in there as well. Yeah, comedies so, and and feel comedies good, and dramas. Feel good movies and, in general. Yeah. There's, I mean, Christmas is chock full of that sort of stuff. So, uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, this was the second movie adaptation of the short story by James Thurber, uh, following in the footsteps of the Danny Kaye led movie from 1947, which focused a whole lot more on the daydreaming aspect of Walter Mitty. And was more of a slapstick comedy than what we got here in, in 2013. Uh, now, the reason I chose this movie was because I feel it's an underrated, underviewed uh, gem. I, I really love this movie. And so, uh, to back up my opinion on this, we have the National Board of Review. <laughs> who, uh, who says this was one of the top ten films of 2013. I did think it was odd when I was looking at the other top 10 films lists from the National Board of Review. They recently have frequently had 11 films. And, like, I thought, did they change the name of the list? No, they still call it the top 10. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so the, uh, great. the top 11 films on the top 10 films uh, from the National Board of Review for 2013 were, in no particular order, uh, Her... Uh, 12 Years a Slave, Fruitvale Station, Gravity, Inside Lewin Davis, Lone Survivor, Nebraska, pr- uh, Prisoners, Saving Mr. Banks, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, and The Wolf of Wall Street. I mean, that's a that's a pretty good list uh, to be yeah. in company with. I, I never I, saw a couple of those movies, but, you know. Which ones haven't you seen? I've, I, I've seen I, 10 out of the 11. I haven't seen Fruitvale Station yet, even though I've multiple times I have downloaded it from Netflix to watch on a flight and then ended up not watching it on the flight. That's happened three times. It's really good. <laughs> well, just pull the trigger, man. I know. I mean, bad just... choice of words on that movie, but yeah. Uh, I apologize. <laughs> I did not, that was not intentional. Uh, it's about yeah, a police I, shooting, Hugo. Yeah, so and I really want to see... No, 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 I know. It's I really like... <laughs> want to see that movie because, uh, like, I, I hear... Again, that's one of those, you know, underseen movies overall. And, and, yeah, you know, I'm it's really good. I'm part of the problem on that one. Uh, but so I want to see Fruitvale Station. I haven't seen Lone Survivor. Me neither. That's the one I haven't seen. And I haven't seen Nebraska. Ah, oh, dude, yeah. that's got to be a film to remember at some point. Because right. like that was list. that was my second, my two favorite movies that year were Her and Nebraska, both of which are on this list. And I feel like Nebraska hasn't had much legs beyond 2013. That's a great movie, man. But yeah. So what about you, Hugo? Which ones from that list hadn't you seen? I haven't seen a bunch of these, to be honest. Um, but I think it, it my favorite movies from that year aren't on the list, which is sad. Uh, but it happens, I guess. Um, well, this guys, is the National yeah, Board remember, of Review in the US. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. Do you guys remember Before Midnight? I, I think Before Midnight is of the one... I remember Before Midnight. Like, Are you it's, me? No, no I'm, I'm not saying, like, you do remember it. I, I meant the National Board of Review. Do you guys remember that movie? Like, I, I don't uh, know. I feel like uh, that movie... Yeah, that should be on here. That's a, that's like, a huge oversight. I feel yeah, like that definitely of be on the here. three before trilogy movies is the one that gets overlooked. And I think that movie's excellent. Like, in some ways, it it, it might even be the best. Like, it, it, if we're just looking at... I don't know. I think the progression of that the story... And how they take a real relationship that was so magical in the first movie and take it into such 
realistic future is is yeah. so great. Um, I love that movie. I think that movie's just also yeah. very hard to watch once you're actually married yourself, which I am now. It's, it's tough, to watch. yeah. Um, but it was nominated for an Oscar, though. It was nominated incredible. for Best Adapted Screenplay. Yeah. Uh, before Midnight. Um, that was the other thing. Is like I feel like the National Board of Reviews top ten or eleven usually has more overlap with the Best Picture nominees, but only half of the, only five of these were nominated for Best Picture: uh, mm-hmm. Wolf of Wall Street, Nebraska, Gravity, Twelve Years a Slave, and Her. Um, what won that year? What won that year? Uh, Twelve Years a Slave. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, oh yeah. Sure. In a split, it was a split with uh, Best Director went to Gravity, Best Picture went to Twelve Years a Slave, and as I remember, the Producers Guild Award, it was actually a tie between Gravity and Twelve Years a Slave for Best Picture. So what's interesting for me is out of those, out, out of the movies on this list, you know, and, and the ones in the, that were Best Picture nominees, I I really do think Twelve Years a Slave has stayed with me much more than Gravity by far. Like you know, I can when I try if I try to visualize scenes from the movie, you know, there's some things from Gravity, but a lot. I think part of it is just that Gravity is very samey. Like the setting is <laughs> doesn't change yeah. a whole lot uh, for a good portion of the movie. But also, her I think is probably the most unique movie on this list. Uh, yeah, I don't know what you guys think about that, but that, that's another yeah. one. Yeah, I, I mean, it has staying power because it's so special. Her, which I believe won Best Adapted Screenplay, uh, that was my favorite movie of the year. However, I didn't see Inside Lewin Davis during 2013. I caught that like a couple years later, and like that might actually be my favorite movie of the year. Well, Inside Lewin Davis you is freaking excellent. A, a Coen Brothers fan. <laughs> I'm a big Coen Brothers fan, yes. However, um, uh, I don't know. Like that's it's not an underappreciated work of theirs, but it's like. I don't know. It's it's really really good. I really love Inside yeah. Lewin Davis as well. So like when yes. when we inevitably talk about Coen Brothers and for some later movie, and we talk about how sometimes I don't like their movies, other times I really do love them. Inside Lewin Davis, I loved. Uh, I'm kind of surprised to hear that actually, given the content of that, given what I know you like and don't like. But that's good. Know. That's I good just, to hear. I, I mean, I'm also I think it's the music aspect of it too. Yeah. That I, that Great just, music, man. Yeah, really, I I still you know eight years later still listen to a lot of the songs from that soundtrack. Fantastic, and also Adam Driver in that is so funny. oh so good. Shout space. <laughs> <laughs> Adam Driver's great in everything though, so he is. It's just uh, unfair. So the last last bit of boilerplate stuff I want to talk about was uh, as we mentioned, this is a, sort of a remake of the 1947 film, uh, but not really a remake because they changed everything that they were doing so much but in a remake was first conceived all the way back in 1994 in and then in the spanning decades it's a it's a roller coaster you should definitely look it up i'm not going to go through all of it but uh over the spanning decades it passed through the hands of ron howard chuck russell who directed the mask and you know uh, which I think is interesting. <laughs> uh, well, they Steve, wanted Jim Carrey. They wanted like, Jim, Jim Carrey. Carrey was attached for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Steven Spielberg was was going to uh, helm the film. Mark Waters, who did Mean Girls, and Gore Verbinski of the Pirates of the Caribbean fame, were all at one point or another slated to direct this film. And Gore Verbinski's name is still attached in the credits as a producer. So I'm assuming some of the some of his input in pre production may have like had stayed to, in the had movie to bleed because, over. Yeah. Yeah, he's still he's still credited as a producer. But it it went from three different production companies, at, at least three, uh, over this time as well. Like with, and like they sued over it. They sued they, over yeah. the rights a few times. I think. Yeah, yeah it, it's crazy how, how long this remake took to get made. Uh, but it was sort of a passion project for uh, um, uh, Goldwyn, Samuel Goldwyn, Samuel Goldwyn, yeah. because his yeah. father had worked on the original. Right. Uh, so that, well, he really wanted this to happen. 
but uh, at one point or another, the stars were all very different as well. Jim Carrey, we already mentioned, was uh, slated to star in it. Owen Wilson, Mike Myers, and Sasha Baron Cohen were all going oh. to be Walter Mitty. <laughs> I mean, I could see I could see Owen Wilson and Jim Carrey pulling this off completely. Well, yeah, certainly uh, the more modern Jim Carrey. But if you think yeah. back to 1990s Jim Carrey, where he did a lot oh. more of the wacky... I mean, I guess it depends. Yeah, I guess it depends when we're talking. But yeah, so know. I mean, Total Sunshine was what 2001, 2002, 2004. Right. So oh, okay, then it is quite a lot later. But it, it's Fair so enough. knowing what he's capable of, yeah, he could have pulled off if they were trying to do this kind of movie. He, he could have pulled yeah. it off. But I'm guessing in the earlier thoughts for the remake, they were going to skew more towards the original film and be a lot more mm. slapstick, which is probably yeah. why they thought, oh, let's get the guy from The Mask to direct it with Jim Carrey, that'll be great. And it could have been. I you know, having I, I watched the original movie as well. Uh and we'll talk more about that later, but you know, having seen that, I can I can see how they might have thought some of these were good ideas. What's up? I mean, that makes that actually makes perfect sense. Like if you watch The Mask, Stanley Ipkiss is not terribly far off of Walter Mitty and yeah. like The Mask does give him the power to kind of like externalize his internal life, which yeah. is kind of what this movie does. So like that that makes sense. Like I don't I don't blame them for trying to make that happen. Yeah. Well. So like I, that's what I'm saying. These the all these casting. I can I could see a version of this movie with any of those stars and have it be still. I think could be an interesting uh, or well done movie. Uh, okay. But that's our our, our boilerplate stuff. Uh, so the movie that we did watch, <laughs> the 2013 Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Uh, the premise is that Walter Mitty is a middle aged man uh, taking care of his widowed mother while also battling his own lack of self-confidence, which prevents him from asking out a girl he likes from work, uh, telling people no, standing up to a bully, and basically, ultimately, from letting him ever do anything exciting with his life. He's a dreamer, and uh, frequently his mind wanders to fantastical versions of his own life where he's a hero or a badass, or even just, like, an interesting person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, He's uh, a ne- he's the negative asset manager for Life magazine in this film, uh, which I think it's very interesting. When this movie was made, was shortly after Life magazine had ended its run, uh, and that made uh, for I think a very interesting setting for the film. So his character is playing the negative assets manager, which is the guy who handles incoming photos from all of their photographers around the world. Uh, but uh, he finds out that the magazine is being shut down and they're going to do one last blowout issue and Walter has been sent the film roll, which has what is going to be the cover picture. Uh, and it was sent by the famed reclusive photographer Sean O'Connell with a note that described the photo as the quintessence of life. Uh, which, <laughs> that is some high-minded stuff to say about your own photo, <laughs> if, you, if you ask me. <laughs> Awful lot of puns that double this Life magazine and life is like the concept. Yes. Including that one. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, Walter and his assistant can't locate this one photo cell that is supposed to have the cover photo. And that's what is setting up the the, the adventure of this movie. That's the MacGuffin is this one photo cell. Um, and they fear that Sean, uh, played by Sean Penn, <laughs> it didn't actually send the, the photo cell in. Uh, so Walter then sets out on a journey to track down the missing photo cell. And like we've, we've changed from our previous episodes, we're not going through the entire plot of the movie. So you know that's the, the setup, uh, so you can kind of know what we're, we're talking about. 
It's um, on Hulu in the U.S. Go watch it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So first, uh, let's get some general thoughts from you guys. Uh, obviously, I, I said I, I love this movie. I'd like to know mm-hmm. a little bit about what you guys think. We'll start with Hugo. Uh, okay. Okay. Um, I really enjoyed it. I, I sort of went in, I think, thinking it was going to be something completely different. Um, I guess just thinking, oh, Ben Stiller is in it. Ben Stiller directed it. It's probably going to be more of a comedy than it actually is. And it... it I sort of it surprised me in that way. I was expecting something more comedic, more slapstick, and I it surprised me in a really positive way. Like I I really enjoy the dramatic aspects of it. I I, I think it's a really nice uh, journey of self discovery. Um, I like the adventure of it, and I don't know. The, I think it's a really relatable movie, and I think there's a lot to love for for anyone who's ever felt like stuck in life at all. I think. This is Which I think it's can... most people will will feel I think that's everyone. Yeah, I think that's everyone pretty much. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I I also I think the cinematography surprised me uh, specifically because it like it's shot really beautifully. It has these really creative like even the way they they shoot the hallways of the office space and like it's never on yeah. yeah, his apartment. It's never uninteresting to watch, which it's one of my major criticism with a lot of comedies and and you know a lot of American comedies. They often just they they just kind of do this one camera, a camera, b camera, and they're just people riffing and saying jokes. Only um, edited improv. As yeah. yeah, and Tony like, Jow says, yeah, and it, and they look a bit flat. And I think this one has a lot of visual storytelling that I really appreciate. Like I like how the office is so gray and and sort of boring but at the same time there are things in it that are full of life i mean it is the office of life and then when he does go on the adventure in other countries the cinematography changes depending on where he is and the lighting and it it, i don't know i think it's really well made and i really enjoyed it what about you josh um i also really enjoyed it i i I liked it i didn't love it i guess is the is the shortest way to say it um so hugo mentioned cinematography so when this movie came out i was spending a lot of time on reddit and less so nowadays, but back then I certainly was. And I remember Reddit really like loved the cinematography in this. So like that was mm. like the one thing I remembered about the movie is like, oh, apparently the cinematography is good, and it is. Uh, I think it's more of a production design thing than a cinematography thing. Like the locations they go to are incredible and breathtaking. Um, I think that also like Hugo, I'm not sure I knew exactly what this movie was. Like I knew it was about a guy who has a boring life but has a vivid imagination and that's kind of like the first 40 minutes yeah Mm -hmm. and then it kind of changes into something else and i think i actually enjoyed those first 40 minutes more than i enjoyed like the beef of the story which kind of becomes like uh you mentioned the MacGuffin, grizz but it's it's more than just a MacGuffin. it's more just like a oh he was just here you just missed him now he's over there then walter when he goes over there and oh you just missed him now he's over here so you got it's kind of like it kind of like is like that, and like I don't enjoy that as much. But it's very, um, it's very uh, Super Mario Brothers. Uh, sorry, Mario, yeah. your princess is in another castle. <laughs> <laughs> um, but o- overall, I really enjoyed it, and um, I-, I like Ben Stiller. And I think if you like Ben Stiller, you're gonna like this. And I also, um, at the very least, I really appreciate what the movie's going for, and whether or not we can talk later about how well it gets what it's going for. But um, yeah, overall, I-, I really enjoyed it. Well, so. For me, the cinematography is one of the highlights for me. I and and, it, and a lot of it is the production design. It's it it would probably be pretty hard to screw up making the Greenland scenes look incredible. 
making the Iceland stuff look incredible. You know, like you'd be surprised. Well, uh, yes, I mean, I'm sure you can screw it up, obviously, but you know, those settings are so beautiful that if you just if, if you just light it properly and, and shoot at the right time of day and stuff like that, it's you're going to get some at least interesting looking shots. Is, is basically my my point. But in addition to that, I also like like we were talking about the way they shot things inside the smaller spaces, inside the offices, inside the apartment. And, and even uh, in some of the public spaces, like when he's on the waiting for the train and he daydreams. Uh, I mean, it, it's simple stuff, but I, I always love it when... I, I really like that stuff, actually. The, that stuff is really cool. When the yeah. focus is not you know on... like the, Whatever you're supposed to be looking at isn't center screen all the time. And mm-hmm. you know that's something they teach you in photography, and that's like, it's very much a film basics thing. But uh, I, I just... It looks great. What, what do you got, Josh? Uh, Stuart Dryberg is a cinematographer. I want to like say his name because we're praising his work. Stuart yeah. Dryberg. Stuart, Stuart yeah. Dryberg. Uh, yeah. And so in addition to the cinematography, though, I you guys know I'm a sucker for a story about you know like a, a feel good story. I, I just you know and that's what I like about this movie is that I like Hugo says it's you relate to it. Everyone feels like they're stuck sometimes, but this movie is about finally getting out of your own head and getting out of your own way and going out and doing something. And and sometimes it's, it is as easy as just taking the first step. And uh, so there's a really powerful moment in this movie. And, we'll, you know, it's one of my favorite scenes. And we'll, we'll talk more about our favorite scenes later. But uh, when he finally makes the, the jump to go get on that helicopter in Greenland. Like, yeah, you, you might say the first step was flying to Greenland. But really, that's not that's not a hard decision to make. It's like, okay, well, you know. I'll fly to Greenland. It's an airplane. I've been on airplanes. Not a big deal. But getting onto a helicopter with a pilot that you know is drunk (laughs) (laughs) to go fly out into the ocean. And, you know, that that took some courage that until this point in the movie, you know, Walter Mitty has not shown except in his wildest dreams. Uh, But on the topic of Walter Mitty, uh, let's talk about some of the, the cast of characters and the performances there. Uh, obviously, the lead is Ben Stiller as Walter Mitty. What do you guys think? Mm-hmm. We'll start with Josh. I think he's perfect. Think he, sorry. Oh, okay. We can start <laughs> I, my thoughts are very brief. Yeah, I, I think he's, I think he's perfect for this. I just, I think he's able to portray the um, sort of the multiple aspects of the character very well. I think he's really good at being this down and out and shy guy, but he's also exuberant enough to pull off like the, the fantasy scenes and the daydreaming scenes so well. And yeah, he's really likable as well. So I think he's perfect. Which is interesting to me because I, I agree. He's eminently likable in this movie, but mm-hmm. you think back to a lot of Ben Stiller's more popular performances. He's not usually a likable guy. Like the ones that people remember him for like his, I mean, the people remember him for a lot of stuff, but heavyweights, Dodgeball, you know, if, uh, um, I forget which other Adam Sandler movie, which Adam Sandler movie it is. Is it Happy Gilmore? Where he Happy Gilmore bullies, yeah, he Happy bullies, Gilmore, yeah. Uh, Happy's grandmother. <laughs> Check the name tag. You're in my world, not grandma. <laughs> he plays a jerk really well, yeah. and so it is really cool to see him in this sort of role where he's kind of an everyman. What did you think, Josh? Well, to, to that point, even like the movies where he's like not a jerk, they're usually pretty cynical or barbed like meet the parents is like not the nicest movie you know um and this movie is really really nice and uncynical and i like that about it and this character is really nice and uncynical and i like that about it uh tropic thunder too also very (laughs) very cynical in a lot of ways um so ben stiller himself 
I think that the Walter Mitty character on the page, uh, I have some criticism about that, about the writing, but his performance is really good. And, like, to your point, Hugo, it's interesting to, like, Ben Stiller kind of is right in the pocket of, like, a guy that, like, when you first see him, he mm-hmm. kind of does look like the nerdy office kind of guy. But, like, it takes – people forget that he's actually, like, pretty handsome. And, like, oh, yeah. you can make him pretty handsome. So, like, the contrast of how he looks at the start of the movie versus the end of the movie, like, it kind of just is, like, how I see Ben Stiller in general. I'm like, oh, yeah, he's, like, a nerdy dude with, with big ears, but he's actually, you know, he can clean up nice, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, th- I think he's good. He He's good in this. Um, even if the writing is uh, – I have some questions later. Okay. Uh, what do you think about his performance, Grizz? Well, yeah, like, like I was saying, it, it, he, he pulls off that everyman thing really well, but, I, like, you were just alluding to – uh, and actually not just alluding, st- stating outright, uh, by the end of the movie, he is a rugged, handsome man, and, you know, like, he physically transforms in the role as well from, you know, a schlub into a stud, and uh, and that's more more than anything, it comes from his self-confidence that you, you see carried throughout the movie. Like if Indiana Jones decided to become lead singer of The Strokes, <laughs> as Pat Oswalt said. As Pat Oswalt said. <laughs> That's a great line. That's a fantastic line, and I love that character. We're definitely going to talk about that character here in a little bit. Uh, the uh, supporting cast on this movie, I think, is excellent. Uh, I love that none of them, save for Sean Penn and Shirley MacLaine, are huge names. They're they're big. Like everyone, you're going to see these people, and you'll be like, "Oh yes, I recognize them. I know them," but uh, they're not going to overshadow. Uh, Walter Mitty, which I think is important in this movie, especially at the beginning of the movie when the whole point of Walter is to kind of look overshadowed while you still care about him. And mm-hmm. so I think the casting is very important in that regard, and I think they kind of nailed it with, uh, you know, there's no, there's none of these people are too hot. None of them are too, you know, ugly looking. Like, it's, it's just, you know, everyone is not distracting. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. And honestly, like, the Sean Penn casting is perfect. Like, that's the kind of character I want Sean Penn to be playing. Like, the kind of, like, pompous, kind of, like, not really pompous. Like, he's, he's an okay guy, but, like, kind of, like, maybe thinks his shit don't stink a little bit. Yeah. Uh, he's that's, he's that's, incredibly that's, yeah. full of himself. Worldly. But yeah. when you're with him, you believe him. Yes. I think yeah. that's the character. He's, he's yeah. a larger-than-life figure, but... Yeah, like, like you say, when you finally get to be with the character, yeah, you know, he, you realize, you oh, it. you know, this is this is believable. But uh, Chris and Wig yeah. is probably the the most important secondary character, the supporting uh, supporting actress in this film. Uh, she plays Cheryl Melhoff, which is Walter's love interest and coworker. Uh, I really like Kristen Wig in this movie. I think more Same. so because not necessarily because her performance is that incredible. But because of what you know her to do in her other roles, you know, on Saturday Night Live, in Bridesmaids, she's wacky and, you know, and loud and, and you know, mm-hmm. doesn't strike you as the kind of person who could play this subdued character that Cheryl uh, Melhoff is. And she is perfect in this movie, honestly. Like, it, it ends up being, like, just a really good, like, I, 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 I buy into why Walter likes her. And why she might like Walter and and that whole dynamic they have, uh, mm-hmm. but also I think Kristen Wiig is perfect because when she appears in the daydream sequences, she gets to turn on her Saturday Night Live, you know, for a little <laughs> bit and do some wacky stuff. Uh, what did you think, Hugo? Uh, I I like her. I, I think she. I mean, 
I like how the movie sort of uh, toes the line between realism and just complete batshit insane stuff. And I, and I think they cast, they, they managed to get actors who can pull off that line where when we're in the real world, they are, they feel like real people you might meet. And, and then in the daydreaming scenes, you do need that larger than life element that it, it's not always so easy to pull off. Sometimes it can be a bit cheesy. And to be completely fair, I think a few of the uh, daydream sequence are a little a bit, bit much for me. Uh, I don't think they all work. Particularly the uh, Benjamin Button sequence, I'm guessing. Yeah, there's Benjamin wild. Button, and <laughs> then wild. there's that one where where he's like some sort of like I don't know caveman who lives in the mountains, and he shows. No, he's a the, Latin lover. Oh, he's a Latin lover, but he comes from yeah. the mountains. Like, as the 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 office explodes and there's like snow outside. It's weird. I don't I don't get it. it there's a few of them that I'm like, oh, okay, sure. Um, but yeah, I, I like Kristen Wiig in this. She she's lovely. She I I don't know. I like uh, what I like specifically about her and and uh, Walter Mitty's relationship is that it's not a relationship, and they they don't go for the very traditional they meet at the beginning and then by the end they're madly in love and they're going to be forever together i think the movie's very smart in the way that it it deals with that it i don't know we'll talk about it when we can get to talk about the ending but because i don't i don't think it it goes in the normal sort of rom-com route with that kind of stuff like at the beginning his main motivation motivation is sort of to be able to finally speak to her but by the end i feel like that's not it anymore and yeah. I think that's why it works better for me. We'll talk so, about So, okay. Well, I think Kristen Wiig is good in this. Uh, she's very charming and very likable. But I also think, like, anybody could have played this part. Like, there's not... It's not a very... It's not asking a lot of her. It's kind of just, like, you know, be friendly and, and be kind of be kind of cute. Um, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I also have some questions about... Um, uh, the progression of their relationship, like where it begins and where it goes. So with yeah. the anyone could have played this part, I agree that anyone could have played the role of Cheryl Melhoff in reality, but with the the silly stuff in the, uh, you know, in the daydreams, do you think like you could have put a non-comedic person in, into this role and have those uh, work? Well, unless the question is, did the many, daydreams not work? <laughs> well, how many? Fa- so she's in she's in the first fantasy where he comes out of the building. She doesn't have a whole lot to do there. She just basically reacts to him. Yep. Um, she's in the Latin Lover fantasy. She's in the Benjamin Button fantasy. Am I missing one? Or is that it for her fantasies that she's in? Oh, I, I think uh, that might she be she she sings she sings uh, she sings. space oddity, which is point. I think um, not silly, but <laughs> no. Yeah, I mean it's it's really the Benjamin Button one, I guess, is is the main one that she's, you know, as you said, busting out her SNL chops. But I also think that one seems a little out of place. Maybe. Yeah. Um, and I will say, yeah, I, I guess that one. Most reviews I read on on this movie, like from like major reviewers, you know, <laughs> that was one that came up regularly. He's like, this one fantasy, I think, was a bridge too far. <laughs> well, I think some people liked it though. Like, I, I, I also read some it. reviews. Yeah, some people <laughs> I, liked it. Some people. That, there's really a line like, in the sand drawn by that. By <laughs> that fantasy. I, yeah. <laughs> I really like the joke. Um, I have that Benjamin Button thing where I'm sort of become a really shriveled old man. I don't know. I haven't seen the movie, so I'm not quite sure. I really like that joke because that's not how Benjamin Button goes at all. But then the sequence is just so... It's just a bit much. I don't know. And I... and I, 
I don't know, because I bought into some of the crazy ones, like the superhero fight that they do at some point. Like, that that stuff works for me, because it makes sense at that point, I think, in the movie thematically, because it's like life is being, you know, turned into a website only, and there's this corporate restructuring thing, and he might get fired, and this guy's being an ass to him, so I get it. But some of the other ones just feel, okay, this is happening, sure. She was in one other one that we forgot, the one where he jumps off the bridge into the building because the, there's an explosion. No, and he rescues I mentioned that one. Oh, yeah. oh, is that one? <laughs> I mentioned that one. Okay. Yeah, she's she's at the end of that one. I like I like her delivery in that one because it's, you know, she plays the fake damsel in distress in a very comedic yeah. way, which I kind of love. Uh, but yeah, I, overall, I think Kristen Wiig is, is good. I, I can see what, where Josh is coming from, that it's not, it's not the, most of the role is not asking a lot of her. Uh, in some ways, I kind of appreciate that that uh, the role isn't like super dramatic because not everybody is super dramatic, you know. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like I, I kind of like when like the silly SNL people get to play kind of just like a straight laced romantic lead. Yeah, uh, I'm thinking of Bill Hader and Trainwreck, where he's like very much the straight man, and again, just like a romantic lead. And he's he's awesome in that. I really like him in that. And um, so I mean, give 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 these people a chance to play that kind of thing. Yeah, I guess uh, another. The next two people I'm going to name, Catherine Hahn and Adam Scott. Love uh, her. Love him. Yes. I mean, Catherine Hahn most recently is, everyone, is in everyone's mind from WandaVision, uh, mm-hmm. the Marvel TV show. Uh, but obviously she's been around for a while. Again, plays a lot of these supporting comedy roles. Uh, and she's excellent in this. She plays a great wacky sister to uh, to Walter. And Adam Scott plays a dick. and which is fun in comparison to his most prominent role as uh in parks and rec uh where he plays ben and you know ben is a a stuffy guy but he's a you know a a friendly likable guy for most of the the show and this one he plays ted Hendricks, the manager for the transition and he's just an a-hole the entire yeah. time. <laughs> Here Thanks. he's more in uh his stepbrothers mode and his uh the good place mode. The oh yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. They they kind of plucked this character out of office space and put it into this movie. Like he he's I feel like even in the re- more realistic uh setting of the movie where we don't go in the, into the daydreaming, he's always sort of a little higher than than he's a little over the top compared to the rest of the characters but it kind of works could it because it shows this very corporate um weird mentality that he has and i like him i I think he's he's very punchable which is what he's supposed to be very punchable and made all the more punchable by his little cadre of office bros yeah blowing smoke up his butt all the time Like I said, I enjoyed the first, like, 40 minutes before it goes to Greenland a lot more than the rest of the movie. And, like, I'm thinking of the scene where Adam Scott and the guy who works at life, like, kind of, like, tell them they're downsizing, basically. And the way that the manager, like, uses his hands to, like, explain all this is so <laughs> yeah. fun to me. And, like, kind of true to life. I don't know. That was good stuff. Yeah. And it's great. Like, that scene is great because at the end when he goes, oh, but we can look forward to doing the last one. So let's get to work, everyone. And everyone's just depressed because they're going to get yeah. fired. God. Um, Captain Han is awesome uh, in everything, and I'm really stoked that you know WandaVision kind of brought her to more people. Um, if you want to see more Captain Han, especially Captain Han and non-comedic stuff, check out Private Life on Netflix. Uh, came out a couple years ago, and she was damn near nominated for an Oscar for it, but not quite. But Captain Han, 
She's great. She's, she's great. been great. You, you know, she was, uh, she's in the first Anchorman. She's the person who says, Ron Burgundy will read anything you read on that teleprompter. Yes. When I say anything, I mean anything. That's her. That's Catherine <laughs> Hahn. She'd been around. She's awesome. Well, so the uh, next person I wanted to mention, because again, I, I, earlier in the episode, I mentioned that Shirley MacLaine is one of the biggest names in this movie. And obviously, she's a bigger name for roles much earlier in her career than she has been, you know, uh, later in, in her career. Uh, but, you know, in case you don't know who Shirley MacLaine is, uh, she was in The Apartment. You don't know who Shirley MacLaine is? I didn't know the name. I have seen the apartment. Yeah, so the apartment oh, rules. She, God, she is, she looks exactly the same now that, yes. I, that I think about it. I never, I didn't make that connection in my mind. Sorry. She's also in Terms of Endearment right. and uh, Steel mm-hmm. Magnolias, and you know, so these are some some really big, big movies. A great, a great uh, late period Shirley MacLaine is uh, Bernie. Speaking of Richard Linklater, uh, Bernie with Jack Black and and Matthew McConaughey. She's really good in that, and that's a really good movie. But uh, she plays Walter's mother in this movie, and uh, you know, I, I I think it's a it's a very small role, uh, but I, there's really just one moment that with Shirley MacLaine that is just such a mother moment that it makes me love her in this movie and really elevates the movie in a lot of ways, where uh, Walter has thrown away his wallet, and uh, you know, at her house. And later in the movie, it's revealed that Walter needs that wallet, but you know he's not going to be able to get it anymore because he threw it out. But his mother's like, "Oh, by the way, I I, I saved this for you because she pulled it out of the trash after he left the house." And she says, "I I always you know I always save your things," and I was like, "Oh yeah, God, I just it, it really I mean it reminded me of my mom like I I go through, uh you know, stuff like in my closet and stuff like that and stuff that my mom saved." for decades, you know, just because it was something I made, you know, it's that sort of motherly moment. I, I don't know. That part really stuck with yeah. me. Well, it's also, first of all, it's set up earlier in the movie when she, when Catherine Hahn pulls out his like backpacking backpack and, uh, their mom says, Oh, that's my, that's my Walter box of all his knickknacks. And she's like pictures of him working at Papa John's and at KFC. And I also completely agree. That's like a very true moment. In fact, I'm home right now for Thanksgiving. My mom was showing me art projects I made in fourth grade that she still has, <laughs> like asking me if I want them. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't want them, but I'm glad you have them. Yeah, it's one of those things, like, you don't ever actually want it, but you love uh, that it's there, that that they that they yeah. thought to save it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what did you think of Shirley MacLaine, Hugo? She's lovely. Like, she, I don't know, she has a weird offbeat vibe to her that I really enjoyed uh, in the film. She, I think she... I don't know, there's something, it's almost as if there's something off about her and in the way that she acts and she, but she counters against Walter being always so straight, especially at the beginning of the film. Um, and I really enjoyed it. She, she's quirky. Uh, we got two more actors that I wanted to, to uh, talk about from this movie that I, I just think are incredible. Uh, Sean Penn as Sean O'Connell. We already talked a little bit about it, so we don't have to dwell on him too long. But I do love that, you know, Sean Penn is in real life, sort of a reclusive, larger-than-life kind of actor. Like, he's always in the news for saying something ridiculous or doing something ridiculous. Uh, And that kind of fits this character of Sean O'Connell, who's out, you know, climbing mountains to take, you know, one picture in just the perfect light, and you know, or 
flying around you or know, not or not taking the picture, or not taking the picture which is yeah. also uh, i think it's a great moment but yeah so like, we can um i love that i love that he sends the telegram that telegram's really funny yes <laughs> the old guy <laughs> they sent the telegram the oldest guy i've ever seen <laughs> <laughs> um, and you just and you see this and the way they show the old guy is like he's looking around all confused as if he doesn't know, yeah. even know where he is that's, that's, that's good stuff <laughs> Uh, we talked about that earlier. Did you have any other thoughts on on Sean Penn and Sean O'Connell? No. Okay. Well, then we'll, I said them all. we'll dive into my favorite, uh, well, honestly, my favorite character in the movie, Pat Oswalt as Todd Maher, or I, I I forget how he pronounces it, who is the eHarmony customer service rep uh, that uh, Walter calls at the beginning because he tries to uh, send a wink or a like I forget what it was to a wink to Cheryl on this dating app. He only joined the dating app because he heard she was on it. (laughs) And then, uh, Todd as played by Patton Oswalt spends the rest of the movie trying to get Walter to fill out his profile and calling him to follow up with him to say, Hey man, did you want to add anything else to your profile? Oh, Hey man, you got some, some interest. People are into you now. And, uh, I just love all those interactions because it, again, Patton Oswalt plays this kind of character very well. Where he's just uh, lovable and friendly, and uh, I just kind of like the idea of a character that that you know he's going above and beyond for Walter for no reason other than he seems like he's a good guy. What, what do you what do you guys think of this character? Well, I love Patton Oswalt always, and like when his voice popped up, I immediately knew who it was. Yeah, I am well familiar, and I was hoping he'd show up, and he does, and it's great. Um, it's funny, but also like it's a good, I guess, uh, you know structural thing to like give like progress reports on walter's character basically Mm -hmm. like the times that he talks to him on the phone like ostensibly call todd is calling him to update his eharmony profile but he's basically just kind of like tracking his progress in his journey to become a more interesting person i guess which you know that works pretty well hugo i also i also find it really funny that he just kind of believes him oh yeah i i jumped out of a helicopter into the sea and punched the shark yesterday and he's like oh cool this will get a lot of clicks on your profile like sure. i can't talk right now but i can do a volcano yeah <laughs> what <laughs> and he just kind of believes him and you know he's great yeah also i didn't realize it was pattern oswald but when he does show up i was like oh yeah that's a nice surprise <laughs> Uh, and it is, I mean, Patton Oswalt has, you know, all those funny conversations, but really does have the, the big moment where he uh, comes to the airport to vouch for Walter because Walter mm-hmm. has gone on a, you know, a trip to uh, Afghanistan. Afghanistan, and he's not going to be allowed back into the country <laughs> and unless someone can verify that he is who he says he is. And the only person in L.A., that Walter knows is the eHarmony customer service rep. <laughs> Even though they've never met, he can still somehow verify his identity. Well, he's seen a lot of pictures of him, obviously, on the, That's on the profile. So. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but yeah, so I, I, I thought Patton was great and, and very lighthearted. Um, I wanted to talk briefly about the setting of the movie, uh, and not just like the settings, like the actual places they go, but the setting as of the End of Life magazine. Uh, I really love it as sort of uh, a, a it's a good parallel. Obviously, they get to make le- several like obvious puns involving life. You know, the, the quintessence of life pun that uh, uh, Sean O'Connell makes. But uh, I think it's a really cool setting because you know the movie is about Walter 
uh, ending one period of his life and it venturing out into a new period of his life. And that's paralleled mm-hmm. by the end of Life magazine and the beginning of Life online. I think that's a, a very simple but poetic parallel that I really enjoy. What do you guys think of this Life magazine setting? I like it. I like it a lot. I, I think it's a cool idea to set a movie in this because you can do different things with it. I, I do I do feel like the movie sort of could have commented more on the whole just moving to online and, and I, I don't know. I feel like the setting is service in service of Walter's story completely and I and I feel like they could have used it a little more to talk about corporate corporate culture and um, sort of this this loss that we that we have by just having old media die off uh, in some ways but I guess that's just because it fits into my general interests more so I was expecting that from the movie maybe when it started but ultimately I think it's a really cool setting and it allows to it allows for the central metaphor of the movie that is, you know, self-discovery and, you know, living your life at the fullest, I suppose, um, to work pretty well. I think there's maybe a few too many uh, life winky puns. little, like, yeah, <laughs> not, not even pun, it's not even a pun, but like, you know, the quintessence of life, like, that's the meaning of life, the motto thing, and like... Yeah, they they do say the know, motto man. a lot. Um, yeah, and like... When, it is when a beautiful he, motto. First, it is, but like when he first walks into work, like you know, there's a shot of him walking into the building. It says the time in life building, and I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. That's like a nice little, nice little detail. And then like I didn't realize the time he worked at Life Magazine, and then I just got pummeled with these nice little details <laughs> over and over and over again. Um, so I don't know. I, I I like it, but it's it's uh you know, I don't like to I don't like to criticize subtlety or lack thereof because it's like a re- a relative thing for people, but. I could, I personally could use a little more salty, I guess. Yeah, and I can see that. Like, you know, I I, I appreciate it because it is a very simple, you know, thing for people to understand. But it is might be a little too simple mm-hmm. <laughs> for people to grasp. But I, I I enjoy that a lot, and I I do think I I, mean, I really like the motto for Life Magazine, and they may have they may have shown it a few too many times <laughs> in the movie because it's in the wallet. They show it at as he's going through the airport. And you yeah. know, it, it it's on the screen a lot. It's uh, his final interaction with the evil corporate guy. Yes, like he says, "Do you even know our motto?" Know and he's motto? like, "Life, uh, it's great, sure." <laughs> uh, life, so, I'm loving it, is what he says. Yes, life, oh, yes. I'm loving it. <laughs> so, Funny joke, but yeah, I mean, it, it it's probably forced on you a little a little too much, but uh, I do like the look of those scenes where. Like the words are on the ground in the airport or on the wall behind them. Uh, so I think that I, the enjoyment I get from those counters it being so ever present in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the other main reason I wanted to talk about this movie is because I love the themes of this movie. Uh, and so you know, I mean, we we've kind of touched on it, but like you know, the self confidence and self actualization, taking that first step. Uh, what did you guys think? of the way they tied in, you know, the adventure, the imagination, leaving your comfort zone. What do you, what do you think of that full product? Did they, this I guess would be a good time to ask, do you think they achieved what, uh, what they set out to achieve with these themes? I'll start with Josh. Um, yes and no, I guess. Um, I, I think that, you know, it, it, 
I, I think the problem is with the Walter Mitty character himself. That's my problem, at least. Um, in that he begins the movie unable to even, like, send a wink to Cheryl on his, his ER profile. Like, his hand hovers over the mouse to click, and he has to, like, rev himself up just to, like, send a wink on, a, on, on an online dating profile. And then, like... He just, like, approaches her and talks to her at work, like, 15 minutes later with without too much impetus. And I'm, like, not sure if that, like, tracks. If there's, like, that – I didn't really see the progress there, I guess. Um, and, like, once once he does that, like, he's kind of, like, set, you know? Like, that was, like, the biggest hump he had to do is just, like, speak to her. Take that step, yeah. And, um, yeah, like, that's that's the big step. And I, I, I kind of – maybe I just had the wrong expectation, but I kind of thought that, that it'd be more to it than that. What do you got? I kind of think that, I mean, and maybe maybe I can see how this would be a problem. But the, my reason for why I don't think it's a problem is that he has to talk to her for his job. Like he he she's the person that he has to speak to to get the information that he needs to find this asset, and he has to find this asset. Uh, so it's really not about I have to talk to her because I'm into her. It's I have to talk to her because I have to talk to her, and so that's why I, I feel like you know, and maybe it's a little convenient. But uh, I, I, it didn't rub me the wrong way. I, I guess what um, uh, it it all, it all seems to happen kind of quick. He goes from like how he is in the opening scene and how he is pre credits before even in how he is in the in the whole first ten minutes. Um, I feel like when he flies to Greenland, he's like already done character wise more or less, and like for for the bulk of the second act, he doesn't like he kind of just like travels places and like i don't really i don't really see how he's changing um like all of his change for me happened in the first 40 minutes which is why i like the first 40 minutes more than i like the rest of the movie um there's a give me one second there uh dana stevens in slate i thought had a really she wrote a positive review but like kind of a typically positive review and it was kind of where i was at um uh let me find the quote that i'm looking for oh um but the the character this is quoting Dana Stevens. But the character's spiritual trajectory remains vague, maybe because Walter himself is somewhat of a nullity, a conceit more than a character. When he finally meets up with the gnomic O'Connell for some mountaintop philosophi- philosophizing, there's not really a sense that Walter, well traveled as he may now be, is bringing any hard won wisdom to the table. It's just Sean's pen doing a lot of pen splaining, and mm-hmm. I kind of feel that. Like I don't. Um, I I feel like it's like telling me that Walter is changing without showing me how or why he's changing a little bit. Um, which isn't bad. Uh, like, I don't know. What, what, do you, what do you guys think of that? My um, sort of take on him was that he he wasn't changing. He was just rediscovering who he already was. And that's why it didn't necessarily bother me how well i mean I, I agree with you that the the going from oh i can't even send her a wink on this website to talking to her and being very charming honestly is a little quick in that sense uh, in terms of at least of the way that he acts but i think in terms of who he is in the movie he he was that person before and he still is he just had to sort of repress uh himself because of the situations that he was put in i think and we'll talk about our favorite scene, but one of my favorite scenes is when he he's on the phone uh, with her while he's in Iceland because he explains yeah. this thing where he's like, I you know my whole life changed from one day to the other because my father died and 
I had to just get a job and, and sort of put, you know, I got a haircut and, and, and got a job. And I think that's a very good metaphor to say that he always was that person. He, he used to be adventurous. He used to uh, be more of a charming individual. And I don't know. And I feel like the movie is just him in a dire situation, which is, you know, life is going online and he might get fired and he really needs to get this photo. He sort of gets that spark that he he always needed but never found to go back to the person that he was. What, what gives him the spark? What's the impetus to, like, have him change his life again? To me, it's... Um, the fact that I'm not really sure, is, I think, is the problem. No, 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 I get it. I get what you mean. I get what you mean. But I feel like it's a, it's a combination of... I, I agree, there's no one thing specifically, but I think it's a combination of the crisis that he has in his personal life because not sorry not in his personal life but in his professional life professional, because, yeah. you know he might he might get fired there's that whole situation and you know she gives give, i think she gives him a very simple pep talk where she's just like oh yeah just just go and almost do it. flippantly she's like yeah, yeah just fly to greenland what, just yeah fight again greenland you can and do he it takes it's your job. That to heart <laughs> and, I, yeah. and i think it sometimes you know i feel like in real life uh moments that maybe give you motivation aren't always sort of a big giant speech dramatic moment and and i feel like for me it worked in that sense because it's not i don't know there's not no one moment but the the simplicity with which, with which she says yeah just do it go ahead and do it she doesn't know that internally he's so repressed and he never does anything like she just thinks oh i mean you can do that you can do it and he sort of believes her i guess well and, and that's you know I think that's why this works for me is because I think it isn't a big spark. It, it's not an explosion mm-hmm. that propels him forward. It's it's literally just someone saying, "Hey, you can do it. Just take take that first step." And that's what what I think is kind of one of the big messages of the movie is that yeah, there's stuff that can be scary or hard about life, but a lot of it you can overcome by just stepping out to do it. And and I think because I that that part of that message resonates so much with me that I think that's why I it, I'm not hung up on that particular issue uh, the way that you or uh, uh, Dana Stevens, Dana Stevens, yeah, was. But by, by the way, she wrote she wrote a positive review. Yeah, and I also am positive on the movie too. It's just like that. Why, why she and I are kind of both kind of keeping at arm's length a little bit. I like what you said though about how it's about taking the first step. That's actually a really good way to put it. Um, I I guess just. My problem, if you want to call it that, is that he he makes some pretty dramatic, he does some pretty dramatic stuff relative to where he begins, and mm-hmm. I guess I just like it seems to be a big leap to go yeah. from where he starts to where he goes, and like especially it, since they didn't uh, they they didn't show us him as a child, they told us that he used to be I mean, a that, great skateboarder fine. and something. Like, I mean, yeah, but so like it, I I can see how it can feel like more of a leap for it, it just from it, a guy who's just afraid seems... to talk to a girl to a guy that's skateboarding down a mountain at you know, you know, a hundred miles an hour <laughs> for, for how drastic it is that the, the progression is, I just kind of wish I could explain the progression more. And it's not just like, Oh, he has a conversation with Cheryl and she makes an offhand remark about Greenland and life, the life magazine's ending. Like that, that still just doesn't seem like enough of an explanation for him to do what he does. And like, that's not necessarily a problem. It's just, or maybe it is a problem. I don't know. But like, you know, I know what you, I know what you I, mean. I, I, I like what Hugo said though about it. It's not so much about, Walter isn't changing as a person. He is relearning. Okay, so we've talked a lot about the daydreaming already uh, and, you know, what scenes work, what scenes don't for us already. So we're just going to jump into uh, uh, 
real quick, I'm just going to talk about the comparison to the 1947 film. Uh, the 1947 film was very comical. Uh, Danny Kaye w is hilarious, you know, very slapstick, almost Charlie Chaplin-esque uh, in, the, in the, the way the comedy is in that movie. Uh, but in, the, in that movie, the daydreams were basically used to set up that Walter is always ahead in the clouds guy and a storyteller. Like a, you know, so that when, when he tells people about the bizarre things going on in you know, his life, because in this movie, like, some really crazy stuff happens to him in real life, uh, people don't believe what he's talking about because he has this reputation as being a daydreamer. Uh, so they really, the, the daydreaming is much more of an important story element in the 1947 more than it is a about the character like it is in the 2013 version uh, they, they kind of drop it after about 45 50 minutes yeah which in, I, this one. I think yeah. the point in, in the 2013 one is the they drop the daydreaming because he's out living and he doesn't have to daydream yes. anymore whereas exactly. in the yeah. 1947 movie the daydreams kind of continue throughout because that is who Walter is it's you know that that's the way his brain works <laughs> uh, but uh the biggest difference to me is that in 1947, Walter is a hapless, bumbling, nervous guy in real life uh, and a cool-headed, well-liked hero in his dreams, whereas in the 2013 version, Walter is a boring, unconfident man who doesn't recognize his own value in real life and a cool, well-liked hero in his dreams. Uh, so basically, it, the difference is that instead of being a bumbling idiot, <laughs> like in 1947, they made him more of, more of the everyman uh, in, in 2013. Uh, uh, so I, the last thing I want to talk about before we uh, get we, we go into ending is just you know, our favorite scenes, and then we'll talk about the ending, and we'll rank it. Uh, my favorite scenes are when Sean and him meet up on the mountain face-to-face -face for the first time. Uh, good. And, uh, and Sean, you know, is basically, he's, taking, he's up there to take a photo of a snow leopard uh, that is really hard to find because they're, you know, very rare species. Uh, and he has been set up here for who knows how long uh, that Sean O'Connell's been set up here, and Walter Mitty's gone through all the ringer to get to this point, and when they finally meet, it's just kind of like, oh, what are you doing here, man? <laughs> like, it's yeah. it's so, like, nonchalant. Uh, I, well, they also, do the thing, they also do the thing where, like, the picture you've been looking for has been with you all along. Yeah. Thing, which... <sighs> <laughs> I th I think it's cute, especially because we know that it's not with him anymore, and <laughs> we know, uh, and and the way that Walter reacts to it with such exasperation is kind of the way Josh kind of reacted to that line just now. I was like, "It's true. You can't do that. Why would you do that? This <laughs> is so Why important." Why you just send it to me? <laughs> so I really love like, that. and I and I love how this gruff crazy guy who just sits on a mountain to take a photo of a leopard for four hours he's just like i don't know i just thought it would be cute yes yeah. <laughs> yes i love that so much uh the other favorite scene that i have is is not it's not a long one so i'm not gonna like dwell on it but it, i just like the way it's shot and how the how, and the music playing during it when he's skateboarding down the the mountain there i i, I just, that's gonna be mine too that's your favorite as well yeah i i love it well Real quick, uh, Jason Bailey, writing in Flavor Wire, uh, had, had this to say. Um, apparently, Ben Stiller said in interviews during the press tour that he didn't really know what the tone of the movie was going to be until after they made it, which might be an issue because like, it is kind of an odd, tonally movie. But So Jason Bailey, in regard to that, said, It is at times a bit too precious for its own good, and Stiller is often willing to let his indie soundtrack do the hard work of setting that elusive tone. 
And that scene probably qualifies as that, but I also really like it. I, I like how he tears his tie in half to wrap their stones on his hands. It's a very good, you know, metaphor for the life he's leaving behind and the life he's pursuing instead and, you know, reconnecting with his skateboarding. And like you said, it's kind of a, the quintessence of the cinematography and the production design and the location scouting. Um, yeah, that's a cool scene. And that's also, uh, apparently he did most of it without a stunt double, which is interesting. Yeah, Ben Stiller knows how to skateboard. <laughs> yeah. However, uh, however, the scene where Cheryl's on the phone in the foreground and Ben Stiller's talking to her son Rachel in the background. Very clearly a stunt his, double. <laughs> his body double is skateboarding great Rodney Mullen. And if you played Tony Hawk Pro Skater on PlayStation in the late 90s, early 2000s, you know exactly who Rodney Mullen is. <laughs> and hell yeah, that guy. That's fun. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I also really like that scene. <laughs> yes. Uh, what was your favorite, Hugo? I mentioned it already, but to me, it's that phone call scene because it. I think it. Um, While well, he's riding the bike to the volcano. Um. No. 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 The phone call scene where she where oh, he's in, on the phone that. with her. Like the bicycle scene is also one of my favorites because it's just like a good moment where he's finally happy about the the crazy things that he's going that he's going through to get uh, to Sean. Like I, I I feel like before that he's still doing it somewhat like unwillingly. He's kind of annoyed, and then. After that, he he's had that weird conversation with that um, with that guy on the boat, and it, it's a kind of a big moment of freedom, and I liked it. But the phone call scene is it sort of gave me context for the movie because initially I did feel the same as Josh, where um, sort of the motivation for him and his change was a little abrupt and weird, and and to me that scene sort of gives it context. I still think the movie overall is does have sort of a lot of different elements that don't always gel together perfectly. But uh, I think that scene is gives it enough heart that it makes it work for me. I agree. That sound. I mean, that's one of the reasons I love that scene. Uh, okay. Well, so now I know we're buttoned up against it. So let's get into the ending of the movie. Uh, this is the first time I'm actually putting up a spoiler warning because this movie really doesn't have anything to spoil except what the actual photo is <laughs> that is the quintessence of life uh so first do you feel that the uh, the budding romance between cheryl and walter is realistic based off what we saw between them in the movie i i like that i said it before i like that it doesn't end with this big declaration of love it it sort of starts in an odd weird place and it it ends with what would be the beginning of a rom-com uh, where they oh they agree to go out and they'll get to know each other, but it's not like this big giant sweeping Hollywood romance moment, um, which I appreciated. I I like that it's sort of maybe a driving force for him at the beginning, and and I guess she teaches him a lot with very simple things, but by the end it's just them being normal with each other and doesn't feel over the top, and I like that. Yeah, I think I, I agree. Like, I like that they don't I like where they end it. But I think they may take a shortcut or two from the beginning to their first conversation, possibly, as I kind of mm-hmm. already mentioned. But other than that, like, I like it. And I, I, I think the end points uh, a good end point. It's a good ending. Uh, and I, I kind of my one drawback with the romance story was that I felt like a lot of the build up to their their starting the relationship is in the dreams that uh, Walter mm-hmm. has. So you, the audience, get to see these daydreams, but then if you stop and think about it, Cheryl has not. So, <laughs> so, uh, it, mm-hmm. it, so for me, I was like, okay, I can see, maybe it, it's a little not completely earned, uh, but 
overall, I think I more agree with what Hugo said that it's just it it, it ends at like he said where a, a regular rom com would be beginning, and there's something kind of sweet about that that it's well they're not madly in love it they're it's very it's believable where they're at. Exactly. Yeah, just so like go the, see Greece uh, at yeah. some some weird church at a, at a Christian <laughs> Christian production it's, of Greece. But be, because of that, because they're not really swinging for the fences in the ending for the relationship, like the the um the earnedness is a lower bar. Mm-hmm. So like yeah, you know, if, if they like ran away in the sunset together, that would not be earned. But like her just agreeing to go to a go on a date with him, basically, that's that's fine. I buy that. Even if she's not privy to his fantasies, like I buy it. Well, and so then the other big part of the ending is that we finally see Sean O'Connell's quintessence of life uh, mm-hmm. because the cell was in the wallet all along that uh, that Sean had sent to Walter as a gift, uh, and Walter threw it out because he, he was giving up and his mom saved it, and oh, thank goodness. Cause giving up we... on life. Yeah, giving, literally giving up on life. <laughs> and... Uh, we get to see, we finally get to see it when everyone's been laid off. The final issue's finally out, and they're finally going to get to see what the cover was. And lo and behold, Sean O'Connell had taken a picture of Walter sitting at a spot that we see him sitting earlier in the movie, uh, looking at photo cells on on a, on a printout. Uh, with, what do you guys think about this? Maybe the real quintessence of life was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's cool. I mean, it's cute. It's cutesy. And, like, I kind of figured that was... It, I wasn't sure what the picture was going to be, but, like, I figured, like, he either intentionally didn't send him the picture and, like, was making a statement about how, like, nothing can capture the quintessence of life. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I figured it'd be something like that, but it's cute. I like it. Hugo? Yeah, I think they get a little too cute with it. Like, I think in the sense that they tease the photos so many times, but at the same time, they're trying to say, ultimately, the photo doesn't really matter. But also it does, but also it doesn't. I think they, they talk about it too much for what the ultimate message is. But I like what the fo- the actual photo is. I like the quintessence of life is just, you know, some guy passionately looking at photos. and, and Yeah, I... It's cool. I mean, like, I, I, it, quintessence of life, especially intended as the magazine, right? And maybe and that, not it's necessarily again that double meaning itself. for life coming yeah. through again, you know, in a very obvious way. But I, I kind of love it because what Sean O'Connell is saying is that the quintessence of life, both for just living life, is is just doing it. And this is what Walter does. Is what he loves to do, and and he's good at it. And so there, there's that aspect of it. But it's also the quintessence of life magazine. Because the, the, what they end up making the whole final issue about is, you know, they dedicate the issue to the people that made Life magazine, and Walter yeah. is, is among them. Uh, so the quintessence of life is the people that make it, and I yeah. I love that so much. <laughs> it's it's uh, also a big sort of, uh, it's kind of sticking it to the man from Sean's point of view that they're going all digital and online, and he's like this analog guy who's who's all about you know classic techniques and and real dangerous photography and you know it's cool well so that's the secret life of walter mitty uh a feel-good movie if there ever is one uh and one of my one of my favorites uh so now we're at the point in the show where we rank the movie uh so in our film to remember rankings uh also i'll go ahead and start with josh josh where do you want to put the secret life of walter mitty on our ranking? 
I'm putting it. Th- this this sounds bad because I actually really enjoyed this movie, but I'm putting it at 35. Okay. Ranking. Well, bear I, in I mind that again. none of the movies on our list have we hated, so it's not like correct. <laughs> it's, it's not like it's saying it's a bad movie <laughs> or anything. But okay, yeah. So you have 35, uh, which is behind Slither, which behind Slither. we do know to be a movie Josh really loves. So that's that's exactly right. I I really enjoy Slither a lot. So I almost put it behind The Matrix Reloaded, but Space Jam and Slither are right there. Sorry. Sorry, Walter Mitty. <laughs> uh, Hugo, where do you want to put The Secret Life of Walter Mitty? Um, okay, so the list is so not my list that it's basically impossible, but I cannot put this above Jackie Brown. So I'm just going to go <laughs> 22 below Jackie Brown and... Yeah. Above us. Well, actually, I'm going to go 23. Below Ansandi, above. Above Rudy. Rudy. Makes yes. sense. You like Ansandi. Yeah. You you really like Ansandi. You only kind of like Rudy. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Nice uh, movie. Yeah. It's lovely. This is one of my favorite movies of the 2010s. Uh, for me, this like I, I rate this five, five stars, uh, which you know is higher than most people would rate it for sure. Uh, and so it is. It is one of my favorite movies. Uh, and so for me, I would put it at number 15, just below Your Name, which we've established is one of my absolute favorite movies of all time, so I couldn't really put it above that. <laughs> uh, so, so that averages out, that averages to 24 and a third? So does that mean we put it right behind or right in front of 127 hours? Right behind. I'll leave that up to you guys. Right behind 127 hours. I okay, would, I would yeah. Say. Thanks. So it's at 25. So number 25 on, on our list, the, list. the Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Uh, Sweet. We have not decided what we're watching for our next film to remember, uh, but oh, yeah. that's okay, <laughs> because you can just follow uh, our Twitter at RTF underscore pod and uh, be on the lookout for a tweet uh, when we've decided what we're going to watch. <laughs> Is it my turn? Is my yep. turn to pick? It is. I mean, I it guess is. you can decide right now if you if you want to. Nah, I'm not gonna do that. No, <laughs> no, no, I'm not. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, that's gonna do it for this week. Uh, where can we find you on the internet, Hugo? Uh, at Hugo underscore Pinai and Hugo Pinai on Letterboxd. So you'll find me. Josh Bradley, where can we find you? On Twitter at the Sloop Josh B. New handle, trying it out on YouTube. Moves I love, and so can you. And check them out. Check Hugo and Josh out on their respective podcast appearances uh, that they mentioned earlier in the show. What were those shows again, Hugo? Large Popcorn. And Josh? Exit Through the 2010s. And you can find me on Twitter at GoodGameGrizz, on Twitch at GoodGameGrizz, on Letterboxd at GoodGameGrizz. Just search GoodGameGrizz, it's probably me. (laughs) Uh, And as always, we'd love if you could please uh, subscribe. uh, If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe on there. If you're listening on a podcast service, go ahead and subscribe on the podcast service so that you'll you'll get each episode as we release each additional episode. And you know, it'd be Hit really that great. Bell. Give us give us some you know reviews and you know and, and share your thoughts. And you know we we would love to to hear that. Uh, but yeah, so that's going to do it for this uh, edition of Remember the Film. Please join us next time for our next episode. Bye. Bye.